Check one, two. There you go. It was awesome. Um, sometimes we, we, we get glimpses as to uh, this body gathered in heaven, and um, it, it's, it's very, you know, just authentic and, and encouraging to have days uh, like these. Next slide. And so after that, we took the youth down to St. Pete for some more food. We had a, a turkey dinner with all the sides. Um, next slide. And uh, I got to see by this guy. <clears throat> his leg was broken, but apparently his, his, his teeth still work. Um, but um, I just want to say, uh, as I reflect on yesterday's events, and even if Angel driving almost 100 miles, you know, back and forth with us, <clears throat> it was encouraging. It was hopeful. And so as we go forth, we hope and pray that, you know, we make those memories and, you know, recreate those moments um, out of a deep uh, need, not a want, but a deep need for fellowship and representing heaven here on earth. Last week, we, talk, we talked about um, temples, being temples of God, allowing yourself to be a conduit so that God could do his righteous work through you. And um, this lesson goes in tandem with that as we wrap up this, I guess, two-Sunday uh, two series. Uh, we started with temples. We're going to end on an altar, hopefully, uh, today. Next slide. <clears throat> Altars for sacrifice, altars for the offering. I sat down and spoke to a Vietnam War veteran this past week, um, a leader of his platoon, and he um, relayed to me a story concerning a young medic uh, that joined them in the jungle. He touches down in the jungle, the soggy mosquito field, jungle on a foreign land, and um, he's traveling with his unit. Uh, the activity is sporadic, so every couple days you might engage in, you know, minimal fire, um, but it's, it's November, and they're, they're moving through the jungle. Um, Saturday evening, there is contact with the enemy, and um, one of our guys get hit, gets hit. Um, he calls the medic over and asks for pressure bandages and um, other items, but the medic says he doesn't have it. Well, you are the medic, and you have a huge backpack, do you not? What do you mean you don't have the items needed? Well, I, um, I lost them. What do you mean you, you lost them? How can you lose things put in your backpack that you have been visibly carrying around as we traverse through, through the jungle. Well, my, my pack was too heavy. And I, I dug a hole and, and I buried a few items so that it would ease my, my burden. So you, you buried it. One of our guys is injured and he could die because you did not want to carry your, your load and accept your responsibility. It is November, and we will meet this young man again in February, but now it is November. Next slide, please. History tells us 
about John. History doesn't give us the date as far as the month, period, July or, or August or whatever. It tells us that John is in prison and he's carrying a load. He's carrying a backpack of burdens. He's asking questions. Possibly he's wondering as well. Uh, he, he wants hope and he wants reassurance that Christ is actually the one to come, the one that everyone in Israel had been expecting, uh, the hope, the Messiah, Mashiach. Next slide. So in Matthew chapter 11, we have these words from verses 1 unto verse 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So he's busy and he's disseminating information about the kingdom of God. When John was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples, you guys, go and, and, and ask this question. Ask him, I, are you the, the one? The one who is to come, or, or should I expect, should we expect someone else? Then Jesus replied, go back. Go back and testify. Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy, the scourge of the land, are cleansed, the deaf. They can hear musical notes and they can hear sound of rushing wind and they can hear you speak. The dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, those who are disenfranchised, those who don't count for anything. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on my account. Let's pray. The Father, as we seek to go into your text this morning, we ask that you might leave your Holy Spirit in this place, rest, and allow us to see and to, uh, to think and to feel the message that you have provided for us this morning, Heavenly Father. Help us to see John's life and how our life intersects uh, with his story and help us to learn and to be encouraged by your words, by your mind this morning. Through Christ, let me pray. Amen. This Christ, who is not storming Herod's court and physically changing governors and leaders, and empowering the oppressed people in a physical way. Matthew writes about. Matthew writes to Jewish people, and he writes concerning John's case. These Jews, the majority of whom are expecting a military Messiah. Come on, Lord Jesus. Trample our oppressors. Assume the kingship in a very real sense. What is Jesus doing? He's poor to start with, and he's ministering as an itinerant preacher. And it is so confusing to them, and possibly to John as well, sitting in prison, just waiting, you know, casually waiting to be beheaded. When are you going to act, Messiah? When are you going to step up and deliver? If you look at verse 3, of our text. John sends his disciples to ask. And when in doubt, next slide please. 
you ask, right? When you are unsure, when you don't really know, you ask. And this is humbling because John is being vulnerable. Well, who is John? Nobody special, just the cousin of Jesus. You know, I asked the kids this morning upstairs because we were doing this text this morning. Um, how many of you are cousins with Jesus? And no one could say yes. Obviously, I would ask the same question here and it would be the same answer reverberating. <clears throat> John's uh, birth is filled with uh, spirit and with leaping and with prophecy fulfillment. And his life is guarded by the Spirit as he traverses through, not jungles, but forests, wilderness, and he preaches, and he is dressed in, what, camels here? Is it camel? Thank you. And he's eating, what, Chick-fil-A or, or, or bratwurst? What is he? It's locust and what? The good stuff, wild honey, right? And so you think if anyone is closer to understanding the agenda of the Messiah, it has to be John, the cousin, the forerunner, the one who prepares the way for the culmination of thousands of years of Israelite history in the Mashiach, in the Messiah coming. And instead of a demonstration of what I know and I'm so confident, he sits in prison vulnerable, asking his disciples, hey, um, could you go ask? And at this juncture, I feel that the human dilemma in the course of discipleship connects us back to John. Because if you're honest, and if I'm honest, there are times when I don't know what it's, what's going on. Where I'm not too sure about what God is doing. Might I, might, might I just dare say, I'm not too sure about God. Does that make you cringe? Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Because if you're honest, we've all felt that way. We've all had questions. But in our religious experience, you do not speak on doubt. And you do not entertain questions about God, because it feels like you are challenging. No, no, is John challenging? He's not challenging. He's just being a human being, going through the process, and the process includes dealing with doubt responsibly. Sometimes we look back, and if we're honest, we think, man, how long have we been trying at this Christian thing and failing? How many sacrifices have I made? Turn the other cheek, striving to give feelings and anxiety over to God. And all the days we struggle asking, what if, what if there's nothing out there? What if there's nothing out there? And I'm asking this to kids this morning. And one young lady is speaking of losing a mom. Um, and even through that, she never lost her smile. One young man is speaking of dealing with, with, with pain and asking, Lord, well, why do I have to go through that? But then he shocks me because he says, you know, but I, I know that um, my, my ideas and my understanding is not the full picture, that God has a plan 
and sometimes my feelings mask that, that plan. We, we, we try to play it off and hide from others close to us, even our kids, but the forerunner of Jesus is honest because the further you get to the altar, the further you get to all truth and nothing but the truth where you are laid bare. The further you get to the altar, the further you get to truth. John is carrying a burden. He's not bearing it. He's inviting others to share in his pursuit of making sense of it all. Hope, getting hope, and helping his belief. And so faith and doubt coexists. Faith is big enough to carry doubt without breaking under the pressure of doubt. Faith is built in community, not isolation. And so the big man, John, says, hey, guys, I, I kind of need you. Like, you are my disciples, and I've been speaking to you and training and instructing you. And yes, I got the Holy Spirit and everything, but I need you. Because I cannot do it myself, because faith does not grow in isolation. And doubt does not get reconciled in isolation. Actually, if you're isolated, that leads to bitterness. And no answers are coming. So John says, um, students, I might be a teacher, but I am nothing without my students. And we are nothing without God. So John sends his disciples to the person, to the Messiah, who responds. Next slide. We speak on things that we have seen and heard. Jesus says to the disciples to go back and report to John what you hear and see. It's not just John in a prison. It's John in a prison with doubt, depending on people he has encouraged and mentored to act as a mediator between himself and the word to come with testimony of the world made flesh to find answers for his moments of lostness. Testimony is for others. It is not just for you. And so people are depending on us to show what we have seen and to show what we have heard. And so we get to this idea of dealing with knowledge in responding to faith when doubt exists. The reply comes from Christ. And it is not just about Old Testament knowledge or just the, the, the signs of the times. It is a response that says, John, if you've been reading this right, if you've been looking, then understand that everything that you've seen demonstrates that I am he. Well, well, well Jesus, why aren't you being a military leader? Well, John, don't get it confused because... You might just be confused about my agenda and how I do things, how I choose to save, but don't be confused considering who I am. Because my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so I'm looking, and I'm in a prison, and I'm like, why don't you topple the Roman government in a physical way? Hold on, brother. I will change from the inside out, not from the outside in. 
people by force. They make people do things, and they take things. But that is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God regenerates and transforms from within. And so you read the Bible in this lens, and it becomes very, very spectacular what God is doing for the nations. He's not just interested in surface looks or surface change, but he wants to get to the root, to uproot and to plant again and to grow afresh. New beginnings, new seasons, new creation. Signs that the kingdom has arrived. People exhibiting the character and the personality of the Christ man. When people have their dead raised, and the blind see, and the lame walk, they understand that Messiah is in the vicinity. I think what we have done in our modern day setting is we've said that God still uses the same signs to confirm his presence. And so people are trying to sow seeds. And they are waiting for cancer to go away. And they are waiting to get checks and to get property and to get accolades. And when those things don't come, they say, well, God is not real. These are not the signs that God has given to confirm Christ. Christ says to John, hey, man, the lame walk, the deaf hear." All these things are happening, not because I'm going to give people all those things all over every time, each time. These things are just confirming that I'm here. And so, the presence of God, the authority of God, the will of God is dismissed today because people feel that God is not showing up the very same way that he showed up in Jerusalem. But if the church does not start a revolution to show the character and person and love of Christ, people won't believe. It's not just about knowledge. People are not doubting or staying away from churches just because of knowledge or evidence for the existence of God. It is not a problem of knowledge. Because people exhibit great faith in lesser things with limited knowledge. Right? And so you are dropping your kids off to... Daycare. Anybody still go to daycare? Not you, but your kids, I'm saying, right? Some of us might need to go there, but anyways. You drop off your kids to daycare, right? And there's a certificate on the wall that says, hey, these people are bona fide, right? Do you, are you there when they are doing background checks for the persons working in there who are working with your kids? No. You take it for granted that you can drop them off. You get on a plane. Have you met the pilot? Have you had dinner with him? You have not, but you take it for granted that you're going to make it. You enter into a highway. You are depending on the camaraderie of other drivers to not get in your lane or to not, or to not, not have been drinking the, the night before. You take chances ordering food at a restaurant. <laughs> Did you see your filet, what's mignon or mignon? Mignon, whatever. Did you see it being cooked? I mean, you pay 40 bucks for a steak? Did you see it being cooked? No. You receive it on faith. Marrying someone. Oh, Lord. (laughs) 
Some of you all have dated for five years or six years. Or some of you all have been married for like 30, 40 years. And you married her in the second month. Did you know her family? Any psychopaths back there? Or people that are kind of questionable? Did you check out the family tree or the family history? Most of us will not. And we did not. But we say, you know what? She looks, she looks pretty good. Yeah. I think I'm going to hedge my, uh, my bets and go all in. People are making these huge decisions, not based on knowledge. They, 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 they know some stuff, but they are not complete in terms of the scope of knowledge. Even with great knowledge, people still choose to do dumb stuff, still choose to believe and say stupid stuff. Next slide, please. And so this is a testimony of our ingenuity. We build bridges and boats and highways, and we use exact science for vaccines, for ointments, for sprays, for chemicals to kill plants and to grow plants and to run our cars. And as you drive across the Skyway Bridge, you're not praying, Lord, please, please hold the bridge, because you have confidence that the engineers have put time and effort in exact science, right? And it is testable every time you drive over and over and over. Oh, this is good. So we have this tenacity for, for confidence in limited knowledge. Next slide. But do you know that there's more evidence for Jesus as a historical being, figure, than we have for men walking on the moon? Do you know that? I mean, if you just take a look at your calendar. Some of you guys carry calendars for whatever reason, right? Or your watch. And if you were to check the time and date, it is 2021 Sunday. Is that the 12th? The 14th? I'm two days behind. That's fine. <laughs> but you understand, you understand that that date that we have is because of the birth of Christ. And you could be a Muslim, you could be an atheist, you could be an, an agnostic, Whenever you sign your checks, you're going to use that date because that is the day when time reset because of Jesus. Historically, the whole world says, yes, he exists. But he also made claims. And as we go on, we get to South Africa where people who know that there are great white sharks in the water, they go to surf. And then there's somebody who gets bit, and then it makes the news. But they still go back to surf, having the knowledge that they can get bitten. There are people who drive impaired, knowing that they can get arrested, seeing the news, yet still they still choose to drive impaired. With all that knowledge. Next slide, please. And then we get to the biggest, baddest question of them all. What are we doing here? How did we get here? And where are we going? And with those people who love exact science and all the knowledge to, be, to, to understand things and to say something can come from nothing, we look at the cosmos and the intelligence behind it, and we say, how was it created? We say, bang. <laughs> I thought we were intelligent. These are scientists and philosophers who rule the airwaves and the television stations and the media print, 
You're telling me that we make all this huff and puff for knowledge in terms of how we construct and order our society, and we look at our existence, and we have no words but just bang. Yet the Bible says, he left not himself without witness. He gave us fruitful seasons. He gave us things to understand that he exists. And so in Matthew 16, the scribes and Pharisees are coming and they're saying, Hey, hey, uh, Jesus, son of whoever, give us a sign. And he says, no. He says, you all read the sky. You all read the stars. No more signs for you all. Because you guys are here, and you are seeing the dead raised, and a man is walking on water, and people who did not see before, they are seeing now, and they are hearing, and people who are crippled, they are jumping, and they are leaping. And you say, well, he, he might be buzzy, but you still think it's a knowledge problem? So Christ says to Thomas, man, God bless your heart, man. You, you, you've seen because you believe and you touched. Blessed are those who have not seen Yet they believe. So what is the common denominator? It is not just about knowledge. It's about choice. Because there are people who will see the dead raised and still say, I, I don't, I don't want to live a Christian life. Yeah. They did that back in the day. Read Luke 16. The rich man and Lazarus. Lord, just send somebody back from the dead because you know how that works, right? If somebody sees ghosts, they're like, oh, well, you know, I believe. Christ says, no. They have Moses, and they have the prophets. They have the law, and they have the prophets. If they don't listen to them, the voice of God, what makes you think they're going to listen when a ghost interrupts their life like Uncle Scrooge? You see, the church, the church steps in here to provide testimony. Testimony of a dead, resurrected life. And so, a choice is not made by people to put faith in God, not only because of knowledge, but because there is no living testimony. To believe in God, there's enough knowledge out there. But sometimes people just want to see the character and the personality of God and know that it's real. See, church attendance and church growth is not just about, well, you know, we can't give the scientific evidence for God and all those things. Dude, this is not a cop-out. There's enough evidence that we could give in an apologetics class. But at the end of the day, people are going to make a decision, a choice, if they see the Spirit alive. Not to give miracles anymore, not to raise the dead, but to live as Christ lived. A human being that was like, what? You did what? You said what? That's not how normal human beings operate. Give them a new way of being human. The God ways. And so, John is in his early 30s before he's beheaded. He's looking for hope in a person, not knowledge or miracles. This man was surrounded and born within miracle. Do you think he's looking for more knowledge or more? He just wants to understand and to confirm, yes, that this is the Christ. He wants some peace and he wants some assurance. And in replying, Jesus provides him, using his disciples, testimony that carries his doubts so they won't weigh him down. In his reply, he speaks not only to his question, but to his present trial. You see, John is in a prison. 
And everything that Christ said makes sense because it is in a catalog of signs pointing to the master, to the Messiah showing up. But Jesus, is, this is so mind-blowing. He is so crafty. Not just not craft, that's a bad word. He is so enlightened that he seeks, even in speaking about general revelation and truths about his coming, he speaks into John's trial. And so, yes, the blind receive sight, but John can see. The lame walk, but John can walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, but John doesn't have leprosy. The death here, John can hear. But then we get to this one. This is just so uncanny. The dead are raised. And if you're fixing to lose your head, you should get comfort in that. That the dead are raised. Did he remove the obstacle? No. Because that's not what God does. He knows who he has built. And we are built to last. Pressures do not or should not break us with Jesus at the helm. So it's like, John, I see you, man. You've been doing good work, good work, very good work. You know, my forerunner. And you're not getting out of prison. And you're going to be beheaded. But just know that I raised the dead. That's what we do all day long. <laughs> Speaking into his trial. But it's not just for John. Because we have these guys, and I'm thinking more than two of the disciples are carrying this testimony, and they are being changed. Oh, John is not going to die. He's going to be raised. It's a community effort in seeking and asking, God, where are you? What should we do? What should we expect? By the way, I also raised the dead. Next slide. See, in February of the next year, two months and a few weeks from this episode of Burying Supplies, Burying Supplies in November, the war veteran tells me that the young medic finally stopped thinking about self and ease and safety, and he embraced cost. He remembered he was in a war. He stopped emptying his bag of burdens. Because these burdens connect him to the other guys that he's with in the jungle. And he can only help them. He can only help them if he carries his burdens. If he incurs the cost. So one afternoon, he runs toward a fallen soldier, and he catches a bullet in his head. Makes the ultimate sacrifice. Every, every young man who enters the jungle knows that there's a chance that they might not make it back home. And as a soldier enlisting even today, you have to be willing to make that sacrifice or you should not be a soldier. Let me not muddy the waters. I'm talking about a physical example that points to a spiritual truth. 
Christian soldiers don't bargain. I said again, Christian soldiers do not bargain. The cost of discipleship says or connotates that there's an altar that intersects with resurrection. And you can only have a resurrection if there is death. John knew he was in a war. He lived the course all his life. No, no wife. It's not recorded anywhere that he was married. No children, you know, no in-crowd status, no vacations to Fiji. I don't even think Fiji was a thing back then. No IRAs. He just wanted a nod, like a thumbs up from the person of hope. Not the body of knowledge, but the person of hope. Hey, John, you made a good decision. Your faith, your choice is not in vain. Use that hope and enter into your trial. The last and final step is always putting up your faith as collateral. Collateral for the life you dare to live. Belief and trust. Next slide. And so, uh, in his reflection, the minister says that, um, you know, we, we reflect on the cross. We write songs about the cross. We sing about the cross, and we even wear crosses. But when are we going to stop singing and reflecting on the cross and get on the cross? And if you have figured it out by now, the cross is the altar, and the altar is the cross. There are people that are hearing that you don't have to die to yourself. Christianity can be experienced as a cafeteria type of menu. And we muddy the water. We make competing versions of Christianity that confuses people. And in that state of things, who can really make a choice to follow? So here's how we we land this plane and we, we resolve everything when it comes to John's prison moments. If we're reflecting on his life, we're looking at this man who has all knowledge and still he's struggling with lostness. He says, I need help from my brethren. I need help from not a body of knowledge, but the person of Christ to say, yes, you have made the right choice. John wants to be sure. So Christ gives him testimony through his disciples. There are people today who want the signs that God is real. And so we as a church have to give them testimony. Not miracles, not signs and wonders. Because those things was not the agenda of Christ for the whole world. Do you think everybody in Jerusalem got healed? No. Because signs pointed to the fact that Somebody is here disturbing the water. Somebody is here doing something different, doing something God-breathed. And those things that you see confirm that this is him. Well, what things do we see that confirms that God is here? Huh. A barbecue. Where is Mark Villinger? I think Mark brought like 25% of his basketball team yesterday. I'm like, what's that about? Well... He's speaking and he's testifying. 
And so, as we, as we close, here's my final thought. I offer it up as a conclusion. There will be obstacles. They are now, and they will be tomorrow. If you love God, and you care for yourself, and the souls of your kids as well, speak the truth. Yeah, we doubt. We have issues. We have memory loss when it comes to what God has done. So we need others to remind and to encourage and to say, we are not in it for what we can get. Because the same God who puts us in a four-two-bedroom house and drives a Porsche here is the same God of those people living next to the train tracks in India where they are born and where they will die. It's the same God. So do you think, do you think that they are, we are more special than them? No. It's not about things or signs or health and wealth. It is about the authority of God saying, I choose because you have given me everything that pertains unto life and godliness. You have revealed yourself. And the more I see men get knowledge, the more it puffs them up, the more it segregates them, the more it blows the world to smithereens. All this knowledge, all this philosophy. And where has it gotten us? You think we are more connected? We're not. That's life. I love that song. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. That's where it starts. Um, you feel certain ways. You go through things. But all those things you give on the altar. All those things you give on the altar to a God that still raises the dead. <laughs>